millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Major League Soccer now more than ever needs that 2022 TV deal to be as big as ever. You're listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast about watching soccer on TV and online. Welcome to episode 169. Coming up on this week's show, our thoughts on the movie about the Adidas Puma Sneaker Wars, latest news on rumors that ESPN are interested in the Korean League, how soccer esports are not ready for primetime television, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside uh, my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. And um, let, let's dive in, Kartik, to the topic, the big topic, which is when will these leagues return? And I, I know initially, and, and this is a day-by-day experience, I mean, like, you mean, you think it's coming back, and then the next day, you mean, a, a government minister or something uh, kind of... Uh, says no 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 it's not going to be ready yet or i mean this it it is very frustrating experience because it is one of those things that um it seems to be on again off again situation in terms of when the leagues are coming back uh no matter which league you're talking about from around the world but for example the um the premier league the premier league i I think the premier league in many ways is waiting for the bundesliga uh, the Bundesliga originally there was talks about maybe May eighth for the return, yeah. uh, and actually I think it was Ian Joy. Ian Joy spoke to somebody within the I think one of the coaches, and that coach said no way. There's no way possibility that's going to happen. Maybe the week after, <clears throat> maybe middle May, perhaps. Uh, the Premier League actually, uh, as of recording this today, Thursday. Uh, Gary Neville tweeted something out saying that uh, behind the scenes, he's heard that uh, June 8th is the return date, but nobody wants to come out and say that. I think part of the issue, Kartik, is that everyone's waiting for the first person, the first league to go ahead and, and launch. And then they get all the negative uh, publicity. I mean, there will be negative publicity from this. And then the other leagues will jump in and start playing. I think everyone's, it's almost a waiting game. Who goes first? And, and who goes through the issues which are bound to uh, occur, and how, how are they handled? Yeah, I, I think that's certainly the case. I mean, Germany is in better shape, at least when you look at statistics and numbers, than uh, the rest of Western Europe and certainly the United States. So I would put uh, the U.S., Italy, Spain, U.K., France, uh, 
the Netherlands all in kind of one one box, or Portugal also in that box, and then Germany in another when we're making these determinations. Uh, Germany, however, does not want uh, to risk that good uh that good work and the fact that they've had a very science-driven approach and for whatever reason, maybe I, I credit public policy, maybe other people think it's just dumb luck, uh, but they have uh, they have avoided the sort of uh, a pandemic nature that we've seen in Italy and we've seen in Spain and we've seen in the United States. And then I think we, quite frankly, we're seeing in the UK now also. Mm-hmm. Um, they've kind of avoided that. So I guess... It, I'm of two minds here. I'm thinking, well, you know, the Bundesliga could probably restart. And I'm not confident. I mean, I've actually gone on record now saying I don't think uh, sports in the U.S. really will will, will uh, uh, kick back off till November. That shocked a lot of people. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm hearing behind the scenes. You know, I'm hearing um, part of my uh, part of my sourcing is um, people who work in college athletic departments who are telling me uh, for college soccer and college football for the fall sports. We're looking at November. Mm-hmm. And for college basketball, we're looking at potentially canceling the non-conference season and just having teams play in their league, which would be uh, different. It would be that uh, every college basketball team would have uh, only their league games and not their non-league games. So there would be no Kentucky versus Louisville game, for example, no Florida versus Florida State, right, because there are different leagues. Um, would be very much like if you envisioned European football without the Champions League. That's what it would be like. Um, and then that way they can shorten the college basketball season, maybe start it in January, right? Rather than started in November, so um, there are these are all theories, contingencies. Everything changes every week, so I don't want people to think, "Oh my gosh, college basketball is not starting till January." But uh, that's the kind of baseline under which people are talking. The premises people are talking about uh, in the United States, and then I think uh, when you talk, when you're looking at European football, uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about uh, leagues that have already decided to throw in the towel. Um, this complicates the Champions League scenario, right? Because mm-hmm. if some leagues are playing and some leagues aren't. Uh, I. Uh, I saw a New York Times article last week about, um, and I, we had speculated about this. I think we may have even speculated about this on this podcast about the Atalanta Valencia uh, tie in Champions League, and did that tie have an impact in spreading the virus? Now, uh, the Times article focused on the first leg in Italy. I had actually focused on the second leg, which was the closed door match played at uh, uh, Valencia, right. the day of the shutdown. Right, it was I think played simultaneously with. Um, the Liverpool Atletico Madrid game, or not the day of the shutdown. The next day was the day of the shutdown, right? When Wolves played Olympiacos, mm-hmm. um, but the last day of Champions League, I had speculated about that because several Valencia players tested positive within a week of that match, and of staff at Valencia. Uh, now uh, the New York Times is saying, well, actually, the first leg uh, was was responsible for the community spread. Um, Right. Because of all Atalanta having however many uh, tens of thousands of fans at, at the Champions League match. So um, I think UEFA now is concerned about uh, that sort of thing happening again. And I have to say, quite frankly, and this is I, I have to throw this out and I don't know what the the the. Uh, liability and insurance situation is like in Europe, European football. I will admit I'm pretty ignorant about that. I know what it's like in U.S. sports. Um, liability issues are massive. Getting insurance for players is difficult in uh, uh, for minor leagues in, in, in normal circumstances. And for major leagues, you know, they get these packages. But there's all kinds of things in it, right, because you have strong players' unions. That's another reason you're not going to see 
a, a match for a long time because one one player who tests we, we hear about this testing regime one player who tests negative before a match let's say it's an MLS match uh, trots out plays the match plays physically plays the, the game the way the game is normally played which I'm not sure players are going to want to do mm-hmm. that's another thing may not sports may not look the same there may not be as much physicality in in soccer and basketball and you know these these sports these team sports um, and then test positive a couple of days later what do you think is going to happen right I mean, just, right all those players will have to be tested there's going to be yep. you mean just uh, there's going to be lawsuits right right i mean th- that's part of it though to kartik is i think a lot of it in terms of when these leagues will return is based on the political system in place so, for example, the Bundesliga, as far as I know, I think in Germany, I think there's very much a kind of a regional government system, too, where, say, Bavaria, the minister in Bavaria. Yeah, might they're have, very decentralized in Germany. Very yeah. Compared so, to the UK, it's they're diametrically the opposite. Right. Basically. And then you look at the UK. So the UK, if Boris Johnson says, OK, um, yes, uh, sporting events uh, can go ahead uh, just with precautions, then, then that's a blanket uh, basically rule or law yeah, that goes into Andy place. Yeah, there's in that situation the mayor of Manchester can do about it, right? I mean, right, exactly. Yeah. Now, compare that to the United States, which is, again, very decentralized in terms of states having a lot more power and, and cities and counties having a lot more power. So, for, for example, Los Angeles, I think the mayor in L.A. a couple of weeks ago said there's going to be no sporting events until next year. Uh, Toronto, you're dealing now in Major League Soccer with uh, teams outside of the United States in Canada. Toronto saying, okay, no sports for mm, in the, the foreseeable yeah. future. I think the United States has a much tougher – MLS has a much tougher obstacle in its place in terms of uh, having to work with all of these different um, teams in different cities, different states, different countries to go ahead and get get it back, uh, the, the, game, the game being played again. I mean, the, the the ideas that have been thrown out there, too, as far as having MLS teams go into, say, it's, I don't know, Florida, for example, Orlando, and taking the teams and having them based there, based in hotels, and then uh, trying to control that environment as best as possible. And then you have the teams from Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal and, and the rest of the MLS clubs, maybe in that region, and then some of the others in going to, say, Arizona or Phoenix or something like that, having games there. That that's a possibility, and and I think that's more likely with Major League Soccer rather than see with the Premier League. The Premier League could say, okay, June eighth, we're rolling out the games. It's going to be behind closed doors. Uh, the games are going to be played in the Midlands area, uh, from stadiums like Wolves, Aston Villa, um, Leicester. I mean, kind of teams in that area, and and again, applying the same philosophy, but that would be much easier for the Premier League. And that actually would be much easier for MLS if they can make it happen. But again, I think it's everyone is waiting to see what happens with the Bundesliga. Then Bundesliga seems to be the one that has the opportunity to kind of go launch this. And then everyone's going to look at that and see what works, what doesn't work. And and can this, uh, does this now mean that the Bundesliga takes the heat and now the Premier League and other leagues come in and say, okay, all right, no, well, they, they did it, so, so we're going to go ahead and do it and get less uh, PR flack. Yeah, I guess that that's the, um, 
the thought process among uh, the people in the Premier League is that they want to see if the Bundesliga can take the bullets, and then they have that that defense mechanism. Although I think there's going to be crit- criticism uh, regardless when, when they start, uh, if they start. But yes, uh, you're right about the governmental systems being completely different. Uh, and in the UK, uh, this, this, the Westminster has the ultimate authority, and they can give the direction. Andy Burnham, who I mentioned, by the way, who is the mayor of Manchester, is a lifelong Everton fan, so a mm-hmm. uh, little irony there, but uh, and a huge football fan, by the way, uh, and a guy that did a lot of good work on uh, on pushing uh, Hillsborough Commission and, and ma- making sure uh, uh, the government that had been so um, unresponsive and insensitive uh, to uh, to to uh, the victims of the Hill- of the Hillsborough disaster and Liverpool fans in general really kind of reversed their uh, their thinking when he was uh, in when Labour was in power and he was in the Labour government. But um, yeah, this is I, I, the the cross border thing is makes MLS particularly vulnerable. And I don't know how many times we've had this conversation about uh, the difficulty of operating cross border leagues. And I will admit, uh, prior to me working at NASL. I didn't see the issue, and, and so maybe you have to be in, in the trenches. And uh, I used to think, ah, oh, it'd be great if we had, you know, a combined U.S. Canada league. We should. We I even had before. I realized the difficulty of it. Had advocated the NASL having eight teams in Canada. Things like, you know, ridiculous ideas like that. Let's all the cities that have Can PL teams now. Uh, that's another league in serious, serious jeopardy, by the way. Um, who had such a great first season. Um, have all those cities have NASL teams? It is a very difficult thing, and I think now that I, I, I'm, you just have to assume official government policy in Canada will not mirror that of the U.S. There will be some differences, some nuances. It makes M- MLS's restart very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, the concept of Arizona and Florida is something Major League Baseball is looking at. Also, I um, I'm not sure. Uh, how how much uh, how practical it is uh, the uh, for baseball there are there are baseball stadiums every uh, everywhere in Arizona and, and and Florida because they're spring training stadiums where teams can play I'm not sure about soccer facilities in Arizona and Florida I could probably think off the top of my head there are a fair number that you could you well, could play at if you're playing close doors then you could play anywhere well yeah right? you, could, you could play uh, Disney Wide World of Sports in Kissimmee there in Florida there's got like what 25 different fields if it's behind yeah, doors. you could play at the uh, at the, um, uh, the Florida Soccer Association headquarters in Auburndale, which is mm-hmm. actually right near a lot of the baseball spring training facilities uh, in Polk County. That's a beautiful facility. Yeah. Obviously, Lockhart and Orlando City Stadium could be used, uh, and uh, so could uh, uh, presumably stadiums on college campuses. Although that's a whole other issue. Maybe you don't even want to go there, but uh, so you could use the UCF stadium. You could use the FAU and FIU stadiums, uh, but uh, it's still, uh, I think it's a long way off. Yeah. And, and so if we're talking about something this, this massive logistically and people are still thinking, Oh, July or August for MLS. I think that's very unrealistic. Well, the other, the other thing that uh, is not in the favor of major league soccer is that the season has just started. You mean so? So for for the Premier League or the Bundesliga, and they're looking at what um, what eight games or so left uh, per team, roughly. Yeah. Roughly, I mean that's something that's that's doable in terms of playing those behind closed doors and figuring out a way to I don't know play two games a week and and within a certain environment that's possible. You've got major league soccer clubs that are some of them haven't even played a home game yet. You look at Inter Miami. Inter Miami has played zero home games. They've played two away games. Uh, there's been, what, 
15,000 people that have bought season tickets, averaging yeah. maybe, like, I don't know, $800 each. So the amount of revenue that's come in from the uh, ticket sale revenue is probably what, in the, in the millions of dollars. And you mean all those customers, all those season ticket holders have seen zero games. So if you look at Major League Soccer and you say, okay, well, maybe November is more of a realistic uh, uh, coming back point. At that point, you, you go, well, what's the point of even playing the season? Usually, usually the season is over uh, by early December, sometimes late November. Let's just go ahead and cancel the whole season and start again next year. And then maybe just roll those season ticket uh, season tickets over until next season. And and then from the TV deal, maybe work out a deal with ESPN and Univision and uh, and Fox and say, hey, I mean that that that's the sticking point though. That that I mean, what do you do? I mean, because you're coming up to 2022 is the last year of the TV deal. Uh, it's hard to throw in anything extra there if you're going to cancel the whole season. Maybe you give them a refund. Um, which is going to cost you mean in, in the you mean tens of millions of dollars if if not more that that's a huge issue. So Major League Soccer, if anything, I know, I know there's been a couple of stories in the press uh, this last week or two saying about uh, Major League Soccer's position well to receive to be in a situation in terms of having a single entity, not having um, much um, in terms of uh, players' wages. And having a lot of, uh, I mean, the single entity allows for cost cutting uh, easier than, than say, club by by club basis, uh, whether overspending on uh, transfers, etc. Yes, there are some advantages to Major League Soccer, but I I see more disadvantages uh, to that league in the situation they're in, just because the season has practically not even started, really. All right, Kartik, in terms of uh, these games that we will that will definitely be played behind close, closed doors to start off with, uh, this uh, segues into one of the, the uh, films I watched this week, which I finished watching it, the documentary called American Pharaoh, about Bob Bradley and uh, his time as the manager of the Egyptian national team uh, back in 2014, trying to get them to qualify for the World Cup. It, it's not a new uh, documentary by any means, but I finally got around to watching it. But the thing that stood out to me was a quote that Bob Bradley said in this in this uh, in this documentary, and he was talking about uh, after the Port Said uh, massacre, where the Egyptian national team um, wasn't allowed to play in front of any any uh, fans uh, for a period of about I think one to two years, and the, the quotes he gave talking about uh, playing in front of an empty stadium is that the game without fans has no soul. And and that's something that I've been preaching for um, a couple of months now, saying in terms of these games are being played behind closed doors. Yes. Yes, it's soccer. Yes, the players are going at it as much as possible. But without the fans, it, it's a completely different experience. It's a completely different feeling. I think I'm sure for the players as much for the view, the TV viewer, uh, it's a completely different game. So that's a great quote from uh, Bob Bradley. The game without fans has no soul. Kartik, um did you get a chance to watch the Adidas uh, Puma uh, film? about? Uh, it's called The Brothers Feud. That's on Amazon Prime right now, uh, the story. I think it's, it's partly based on, on the true story. I don't think it's 100% uh, factual, but Adidas versus Puma, The Brothers Feud. 
Yeah, uh, the I, I'm not sure that the scene uh, at the train station when uh, one of the brothers is going to Nuremberg and gets punched and he's trying to impress some women or gets beaten up. I don't think that's probably factual, but uh, yeah, there there was a there was a lot in it. Yes, I, I did finish it. I did complete it. It's just so, to, it was really well done. It's in German. You can subtitle it in English. I think it was very revealing to me how. Um, these two brothers uh, were were eventually torn apart by kind of ambition, politics, and and, and quite frankly, a little bit of a different business philosophy. And uh, I did not, I guess, realize, and I don't know why I didn't know this, that they were based earshot from one another. They were mm-hmm. from the same town, obviously, Puma and Adidas uh, originally. And uh, what's what's interesting is Puma came out of the gates uh, after the split. Uh, very, very aggressively, right, and and, yep. and got a lot of uh, a lot of deals, and and we think of Adidas now as the more successful, the more uh, the, the the much larger presence. Although Puma, I think, is that kind of third wheel. There's a a bit of an Adidas um, Nike duopoly, and then uh, they, but then Puma has, I think, a clear presence as the third uh, third big uh, apparel and shoe manufacturer ahead of uh, all of the uh, the Italian brands and and uh, uh, New Balance and and some of the American brands, Converse, etc. So I think that that's uh, that's interesting. I also think um, this brought back a memory for us that footballers, soccer players, at one time it was thought they could wear regular footwear and play their game. And that um, these two brothers both realized they needed specialized equipment. And uh, we forget that, that for the first decades mm-hmm. or even longer, maybe that football was played, uh, there was no specific specialized equipment, particularly in terms of footwear uh, for the sport. And so I, I highly recommend this. I think uh, folks should watch this. Yeah, it's uh, so, so there's they're still both based in the same town. Uh, so Adidas and Puma uh, based in the town, the, the population of the town as of 2018 is 23,000 people. So at the time of the formation of Adidas and Puma, uh, which would have been in, well, Adidas would have been like, what, 1930s. Um, it was probably a village at that point. It would have been like 47, I think, right? Yeah, so it was probably a village at that point. And uh, so, so that, that and, and they're still both based, I mean, huge international brands based in that town. And the funny thing too, Kartik, is that in that small town, there are two clubs. Uh, there's a uh, two amateur clubs, one of the clubs uh, is supported by Adidas and wears Adidas uh, uh, kit and, and uh, footwear. And then the other club uh, in this small, tiny little town is is uh, Puma. Both are supported by and that and that's supported by Puma. So even even like what from the 1930s to like what 2020, uh, that animosity, that competition is still on. Uh, even down to the amateur level between those uh, two international brands. But yeah, it, it's uh, highly recommended. Um, I'm sure it's a little bit sensationalized. But uh, also, I mean, the the miracle uh, of Bern, the, the World Cup final, where you have uh, Germany trying to win the World Cup and uh, the head of P- Puma kind of really casting doubts in terms of that their chances of winning the World Cup. Um, that was the way that that uh, final was reenacted. I thought it was really, really well done with the, uh, the fans in the stadium. Um, that alone, from a soccer uh, aspect, was was well worth watching. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, and it reminded me, remember, you and I went to Dortmund to the German Football Museum yeah. uh, a few years ago. And the even the model they had on display uh, mm-hmm. of that final was just captivating. And then this took it, the end of this film, the uh, the, the scenes towards the end of this film of uh, that 54 final uh, in, in Switzerland just took it to a whole other level. And that was a decisive moment in football history because at the time, I think most of our listeners know this, but at the time Hungary was the gold standard, right? And they there was no thought about them getting beat and um you know i have to reread we we talked we did our youtube yesterday on on books i have to reread the uh chapter in jonathan wilson's book jonathan wilson is an expert on eastern european football uh, about that uh final or or the culmination of that chapter where he talks about that final because it was something very unique germany did tactically and it's just i'm blanking out on it and maybe our Hmm. listeners know exactly what I'm talking about, to beat that Hungarian team because Hungary was uh, uh, Bela Gutman and, and Pushkas era. They were unbeatable. They, they they wouldn't just win matches 1-0, by the way. They'd win matches 6-0 or 6-2. And, mm-hmm. uh, they, were, they were... It's funny because we judge these greatest teams of all time based on who wins World Cups and who doesn't right, and the, at the international level. And that's sometimes unfortunate because it seems this, hung, this Hungarian team had a greater impact on football um, and and uh, and the way football is played, maybe than most of most World Cup winners, and the window in which they were dominating, um, which ended in '54, but uh, uh, really ended in '56 with the uh, Hungarian Revolution, but w- ran from maybe you know '49, '50 uh, to '50, '54, '56. Uh, they were as good as any team in the history of the sport uh, at the international level. So in addition to that, this week I watched the final, actually it wasn't even the final, I think it was the semi-final of the EPL Invitational, which was a FIFA 20 tournament put on by the Premier League. Uh, All the games were uh, streamed live on the Premier League social channels, digital channels, and uh, as well as on on the weekend, uh, NBCSN had it, and then uh, Telemundo uh, Deportes, I think Digital Side had it too. And um, the semi-final I watched was Raheem Sterling against uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. So you had Manchester City against Liverpool. And uh, what could have been and what should have been a really fantastic game to watch. Uh, both uh, Raheem and Trent were... Had, you had the cameras on them. You had, They were mic'd up so you could hear what they were saying. And uh, yet again, and I've seen this from now, I've watched the uh, Liga Max E-Liga Max. I've watched uh, MLS, I've watched La Liga, I've watched the Premier League, and um, none of them, none of the FIFA 20 coverage uh, I've seen on on live television so far has perfected it, and every single time there's been issues. So with the Liverpool against Man City, uh, Raheem against Trent, I mean, the game was laggy. It's typical FIFA 20 servers. They were they kept on pausing at inopportune times. Like, I mean, Trent was attacking, and then all of a sudden it, it glitches, it pauses, and you can see on screen on the FIFA 20 kind of the error message, network connection issues. It pauses right as he's getting ready to take a shot. Um, the commentators for the Premier League were poor. Um, I'm, I'm not sure who the names of them, but really, really poor commentary. Uh, and again, the, game, the games happen so quickly that the commentators always are trying to catch up. Like the halftime is like five seconds. As soon as the halftime, you mean, uh, it's the end of the first half. Within five seconds, roughly, um, they're on again playing the, 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 the kickoff in the second half. Just, to, I mean, that's the way FIFA 20 works. You just want to kind of get through that game as quickly as possible. You don't sit around for 15 minutes and talk about the game. 
Um, so for the Premier League, I was surprised. Not a good production by any means. I also watched uh, Sevilla against Villarreal. Uh, La Liga had a uh, competition called La Liga Kick COVID, which was a uh, fundraiser. Uh, you had Phil Shane commentating this game. Uh, this was on BN Sports Connect as well as uh, the La Liga YouTube channel. Phil Shane uh, commentating and then Jimmy Conrad uh, commentating. Uh, this one was better than most of the ones I've seen, but there was no crowd noise. There was no noise piped in from, you mean, when you hear in the crowd roaring on FIFA 20. So it sounded a little bit sterile. It was better with Phil commentating rather than, say, Stu Holden commentating the MLS games. Um, you have a real commentator commentating the games, and Jimmy Conrad was okay. But but again, not perfected by any means, and... Um, Really, I, I don't think that FIFA 20 is ready for prime time. It is, this is nothing compared to iRacing on Fox, where you have the NASCAR racing, which looks absolutely incredible. The FIFA 20, to me, um, the actual game engine itself does not look like it's it's advanced a lot. I haven't played FIFA much in the last, say, five years, but it hasn't really changed that much. It doesn't seem to have improved that much. I don't think FIFA 20 is ready for television. The sooner real soccer can come back... Uh, the better. Um, the iRacing side, at least, that seems to be... And I, I'm not even into racing, is a lot more entertaining than FIFA 20. Yeah. Yeah, similar uh, experience. I, I watched the uh, UEFA, the Champions League version of uh, the FIFA yeah, E-Cup or whatever it was called on ESPN2. Uh, I believe it was Friday night. Jimmy Conrad uh, hosted a couple other uh, guys whose names I don't recall uh, were on the commentary. And in fact, uh, interestingly enough, the, the the Scandinavian teams made up the final four of the uh, competition. So it didn't go quite according to the form it would go normally in a uh, Champions League uh Match. By the way, Trent Alexander-Arnold was representing Liverpool in that competition also, uh, so he must be quite a prolific FIFA player. They, they said of both the Champions League and the Premier League, but uh, same issues, laggy. I think the commentators are always catching up. Uh, there's this short halftime. Uh, there are seemingly – the game, the same thing. I haven't played FIFA in, I think, since 24, FIFA 14, which was the uh, game that came out in 2013. Uh, so I probably haven't played it since the end of that season, and it, I, the game doesn't seem terribly different to me. Honestly, it doesn't seem like yeah. there's there's anything new in it. Uh, yeah, same experience. I, I, I watched this. It was uh, uh, I, I was compelled by the fact that the Scandinavian teams kept winning. That made it uh, different than normal forms. So that actually is probably what helped my interest. Held my interest in this competition, not any uh, anything uh, uh, else. Uh, but uh, yeah, FIFA 20, not ready for prime time. I, I, obviously, they didn't anticipate the shutdown and the leagues that have done it, Liga, Mekis, uh, Premier League, uh, UEFA, all of these leagues were not necessarily ready with a plan for this. And, and we realized the rush nature of it, but still, it's, uh, it's got a ways to go. Yeah, and I think it's actually more so it's uh, EA Sports and just the issues that they're dealing with with the servers. With yeah, you know, you're having millions of people playing at the same time, playing against each other uh, around the world, and those servers are not able to keep up with it. Um, the, one more thing on this before we move on to the news is that um, with both Raheem and with Trent, I mean, no personality. I mean, they go. I mean, there's there's no interviewer really. There's no one there with a mic in, kind of leading them along, or there's no PR person behind the scenes, kind of giving them some advice. But when, when they go to these guys, when they go to Trent and Raheem and say, "Hey, what did you think of that?" It's just like flatline. It's just like no personality, no energy. 
no interest. You mean they're they're just focused on playing the FIFA game. They just want to play that and have fun. And yes, it's cool to have Raheem and Trent mic'd up, but don't expect any any, uh, really thoughtful response. Uh, I mean, they're athletes, and that's what they're. I mean, and and on the FIFA side, I'm sure they play FIFA normally, even uh, when it's not coronavirus, they play it all the time. But um, television wise, it was not good television by any means. It just. yeah, I think it's the sooner that the FIFA 20 idea can be put in the bag and, and, and sent away and say, okay, we tried it, it didn't work, uh, the better. All right, Kartik, so TV streamer news. And then uh, we talked in the first ep- first segment about uh, the issue that leagues are facing. I mean, should they return? When will they return? Well, well one league especially has made that decision. Yeah, so Liga uh, was cancelled this week, which was a, a, a stunner to some people in France. Uh, the Eredivisie had already called their season, which uh, might – I was talking about litigation in terms of player safety earlier – might result in litigation from a club or two who feels like they might have qualified for Europe if, if this hadn't happened uh, for uh, for UEFA uh, – not UEFA Cup. <laughs> My goodness, I'm dating myself. For Europa League. Uh, Superliga Argentina and Copa Argentina will end officially as well. So um, we're beginning to see leagues shift from this idea that, okay, we can indefinitely put off resumptions of the season to saying, okay, time's up. Um, This puts – if Champions League were to restart – um, and I don't. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm ignorant of who's alive in Europa League. I'm sure there's probably a Dutch team alive, but specifically there are two French teams still alive in uh, Champions League. Leon, who lead the tie, uh, going to a second leg with Juventus, and, and I think had a pretty good shot of hanging on. Uh, and then, um, although Juventus may not be in a position to play either, right? Uh, and then, of course, PSG, who have advanced to the quarterfinals. I think now. Uh, you have to wonder if PSG and Leon can even resume Champions League if they're not playing in any other competition, uh, which is uh, which is a pity because uh, this is the year obviously PSG could have won the Champions League. I think Leon has an interesting team and and felt like they might be uh, one of the sleepers in the tournament. I didn't think they'd mm-hmm. win it, but I thought maybe they could get to the semifinals. Uh, but that now appears to be uh, 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 on the rocks and and. Quite honestly, this is France. Uh, can Spanish teams, can Italian teams, can they resume? Yep. Are they in a position to resume? Atalanta, they're in the quarterfinals already. Uh, can they resume? Napoli, I believe, is still – yeah, Napoli's still in the tournament. So um, maybe this is just going to give us some confirmation now, Chris, that Champions League isn't going to finish. Maybe that. Maybe that's the reality. Yeah, and this is uh, going back to what you said before. What what I said before about MLS having a difficult time, uh, UEFA has has probably an even more difficult time. Uh, MLS is dealing with the Canadian government and the U.S. government, and then uh, you mean the different states and different cities and different counties, etc. UEFA is really dealing with all these different uh, European countries. So, like you said, the French league is saying, okay, uh, both League One and League Two are cancelled. And uh, the, the Dutch league has already ended, and uh, there may be some other leagues too that are going to shut down, which is going to impact the Europa League, which is going to impact the Champions League. And um, UEFA, I know, have, have been pushing back a lot and saying, okay, well, no, uh, you have to finish the, the, the leagues. But, um, you mean, I, I think if this, if anything happens, maybe some of the major leagues in Europe finish the seasons being played behind closed doors. 
and then the Champions League and the Europa League are impacted because not all of the clubs that are still in the tournament can actually uh, can play. And, and yeah, that's uh, again we'll have to wait and see down the road to see what happens. But that that's uh, alarming news for for UEFA. I'm sure that they're really really freaking out about all of this. Um, moving on, next news item. This is something that um, I tweeted. So on World Soccer Talk this week, I tweeted that um, according to an article in Sports Pro, uh, ESPN are reportedly in talks to acquire the U.S. rights to the Korean or South Korean K League ahead of the uh, the league's return on May eighth. And the thing about this, though, too, is that I just retweeted this news um, and I looked into it a little bit more. And from what I can tell from my sources, that ESPN has not had any discussions with the um, the rights holder, which I believe is Sports Radar, uh, to the Korean K-League. So so the news might be a little bit premature. That's not to say that uh, ESPN may not be interested, ESPN may or may not be interested in this. Uh, it looks like the K League will be probably the first league to return in a massive capacity. I mean, you've got, of course, you've got the the Belarusian Premier League, you've got the Nicaraguan League, you've got uh, a couple of other uh, minor leagues around the world playing. But the Korean League could be coming to the United States to one of the broadcasters. And at the same time, though, too, that uh, even if it is an ESPN Plus or if it is a Bleacher Report Live or whoever it may be, these games will be played in the middle of the night. You mean two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. So um, yes, we're excited about any live, real soccer coming back. And but I would uh, hold off on the excitement um, for the time being until we know more details and, and and see who picks up these rights, if anyone does. And in the last piece of news in this news segment is uh, some sad news, and that is that former Manchester City and Liverpool footballer Michael Robinson died this week, uh, age 61 years of of age. Uh, The footballer had become a broadcasting legend in Spain, where he worked on La Liga broadcasts. Uh, For anyone who's uh, watched coverage of La Liga from Spain or lived in Spain, Michael Robinson was one of the most um, respected and one of the most popular uh, broadcasters in Spain. Uh, Michael Robinson, uh, really, at the end of the day, is is really more famous for being a La Liga um, sports commentator, analyst about La Liga, really fell in love with the game uh, when he moved uh, from from England to go play in Spain, I think Osasuna. But uh, apparently his death uh, this week was linked to cancer. So definitely um, rest in peace, Michael Robinson, um, a great footballer from the English First Division and uh, La Liga broadcaster. Yeah, uh, Chris, uh, this is a horrible, tragic loss. Uh, Michael Robinson was – he had melanoma. We knew that this. He had, died, he had uh, disclosed it on air uh, Sometime during, I want to say last season was this season, right? But before the uh, before the break for uh, COVID, uh, he was seen as a mentor to Steve McManaman, both uh, from a broadcasting standpoint. They both worked at Satanta together, uh, and then also um, from a uh, standpoint of kind of acclimating in Spanish culture when Maca went to Real Madrid, and, and Robinson had of course uh, played for Osasuna after he'd played for Liverpool uh, and Manchester City, just like Maca. Maca played for those two clubs also, mm-hmm. and Brighton was where he 
was uh, best known as a player, uh, just a, a, a phenomenal uh, commentator. Did a, I saw I, I, my orientation to him? I have to admit was through Republic of Ireland matches. He called a lot of Republic of Ireland matches uh, back in the day, uh, and was a Republic of Ireland international. Uh, quick tribute from Rafa Nadal, one of the great uh, athletes of our generation. We woke up, and this is obviously just the other day. We woke up with the sad news of the death of one of our own. You were you were the one who always made us happy about the sport. We are grateful to you. So uh, wow. really fitting tribute from Rafa Nadal. Yeah. And like I was saying to you just a minute ago, Kartik, that uh, he, he was bigger as a La Liga, I mean, uh, analyst, commentator, uh, presenter than he, than he was as a footballer. I mean, I, I remember him playing for Liverpool mostly, but also Man City back in the day, back in uh, the early 80s. But uh, it's really kind of as a La Liga commentator, uh, broadcaster talent is really where he was uh, perhaps uh, most well known. Right, Kartik, let's move on to list of mailbag. Uh, first up, yeah, I should one last thing I should mention. Sorry, was that when he moved to City, he was one of the largest transfers uh, in history at that point. When he had, he came from Preston, which is a nearby club, and Malcolm Al- Allison um, overspent on him, quite frankly. And this is right after Man City had spent an exorbitant amount of money on Trevor Francis. Also, I think broke the transfer record at the time. So Robinson actually at one time was one of the maybe five biggest transfers in, in the history of English football. Believe it or not. Wow. All right, Lou Burns in the list of mailbag. He says, I rely on your reporting on what is going on in the U.S. media as regards soccer coverage and finding finding it strange that you haven't mentioned the apparent loss of Sky Sports News on NBCSN. Any comments? So, Lou, yeah, we actually, we, um, to, to me, it, this is not a big story just because uh, of everything going on. If it was normal where it was during the normal soccer season and games were being played and then Sky Sports had been dropped, then then I would I would have done a story on it. I did um, do a tweet on it a few weeks ago. And um, what had happened was that uh, NBCSN had increased the number of hours that Sky Sports News was being shown on, on NBCSN. I think from one hour to I think like four hours or five hours daily. And yeah. um, but there's not there was nothing going on. There was no news to talk about. I mean, even for Sky Sports News, who loves to sensationalize news and talk about, I mean, take a small thing and blow it up, there was nothing to talk about. But the 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 reality more so is that uh, NBCSN a few weeks ago switched to more of a focus on American football. I think both college and NFL basically just talk, just talking about the games. And they've done that in the late mornings and early afternoons, um, uh, having talking heads talk about American football. And I think that's where they're trying to focus on building or trying to ha- keep some type of audience there hooked. Because, I mean, anyone knows in America, I mean, talk about NFL or college football, and those numbers usually would be pretty good. If you do Sky Sports News, where there's no news happening, I mean, those numbers are going to be pretty small. So, um According to NBCSN, um, Sky Sports News will return. It's just right now, you I mean, there's no point in really uh, broadcasting it because there's, there's nothing going on. Next up is John Average Geek. John says, uh, I have watched Adidas versus the Puma uh, docudrama. I loved it. Not 100% factual, but I think it gets the high points just right. And I, I agree with that. Uh, Robert says, uh, Christopher and Kartik, I wonder when or if we will next see any football. There will probably be nobody in the stands until there is a vaccine. Uh, That will be very hard on the leagues that depend on gate receipts. 
that maybe next year. And Major League Soccer would be one of those ones that really depends on gate receipts big time. Um, and it, it could be next year before they, they start playing again. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is the big question. Look, we hear you you mentioned earlier in the show that there's this 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 kind of discussion about MLS and are they better positioned than anyone else? Um, And we really don't know the MLS, um, the MLS fans uh, or there's particularly uh, the 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 ones that are really patrol Twitter and, and and any critique of MLS they push back on will tell you that there is uh, nothing wrong. They're better positioned than any other league uh, out there. But then they will they will be saying, "Well, we need to restart. We need to restart." And they will also talk about um, closed doors as being kind of a problem. So um, I think that they're probably in in some trouble because not of where they are financially on May first right now, but where they are. Uh, going to be November first. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if there's no, um, they're they're more dependent on match day revenue than other first divisions in in Europe and uh, and big leagues in in this country. So yeah, uh, well, plus, yeah, maybe maybe they just scrub the season then. Yeah. Plus the other thing though too, say like magically that MLS says uh, okay, beginning November first, we're going to start. Um, fans can go to games, and now all of a sudden the the gates are open. Come on, come on back. What percentage of people are going to go back? You I mean is it, is it going to be fifty percent of the people uh, that are going to go, and the other fifty percent say, ah, "No thanks, I'll, I'll wait till next year until the vaccine's ready." Uh, you know I mean it, it's going to take a time. It's going to have a match. It, everything from concerts to, I mean, any public gatherings like July Fourth, uh, even fireworks. So anything a public gathering is going to take a major hit because it's going to take time for people to get over the fear factor and to feel safe going into environments where there's large numbers of people in a, in a closed environment and not have to worry about that. So the long-term effects on attendance, this could take five years to get back to where it was before, maybe even longer. So Major League Soccer now more than ever needs that 2022 TV deal to be as big as ever, really to, you mean, you mean almost, to, they're not going to do it, but to blow it up and say, okay, uh, U.S. soccer on the men's side and women's side, you guys are on your own. Go ahead and run with that. Major League Soccer, we're going to try to uh, get this uh, TV deal to be as big as ever. And, and then that money goes right back to the clubs rather than being split with U.S. soccer, uh, both on the men's and women's side. But, yeah, I, I don't see a positive future for attendance um, for any sports in this country, uh, at least for the next five years. Yeah, I think uh, uh, this is really, uh, really interesting because the people who are are uh, uh, pushing for the resumptions will also acknowledge there will be a, a certain percentage of people who do not feel comfortable going back into these sort of settings uh, with mass crowds. Now, they think it's going to be more like 5%. I'm thinking it's going to be more than that. Again, that's anecdotal just from people I talk to. Um, when I talk to my circle of people, hey, would you go back to a concert right now or to a sporting event or go into a crowded movie theater? Not the movie theater where there are two people, for, uh, but for, you know, some new premiere. Um, the answer is almost like 75% no. Maybe that's just my circle. But uh, I think it's kind of naive to think, at least based on my own experience, that it's only going to be 5 to 7% of the crowds that drop off. That if you were getting 20,000 before, you'll get 18,000 or 19,000 now. I, I just don't think that's realistic mm-hmm. uh, for a few years, maybe even. Right. Definitely this year, definitely in 2020. 
And lastly, Raymond Orozco says, what is the future of American soccer? I think the fundamental question MLS fans really need to ask themselves about the future of this league is this. Do we really want to look like Europe, which is extremely top heavy and the smaller teams are just happy to participate in the top league or be content with a more competitive balanced league, but the quality suffers from it? And that and that's the uh, the age old question for Major League Soccer is that uh, I, I I don't think they can compete with the transfer markets with the the high spenders, but the one thing that they are missing is those power clubs, those clubs, those those Manchester Uniteds, those uh, Liverpools, those Chelseas, those big those clubs that are powerhouses that every year seem to be always attracting tons of new fans, doing everything right, buying all the big big players. Um, that at the end of the day is is more is more successful, uh, I think, for a television than it is having parity. Parity sometimes is uh, quite boring, um, and that, that's my take on that. All right. Well, we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday across all of the different uh, podcast players, as well as uh, Google Home, Alexa, and uh, YouTube, etc. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, uh, heading into another weekend of no live soccer, although I think NBC is going to be showing... Manchester City against QPR game I think on NBC on, on Saturday uh, we'll, we'll have the full schedule at worldsoccertalk.com uh, for all the weekend games that are going to be shown uh, on demand and live live as in uh, replays of classic matches but uh, what are your plans for the weekend and, and what should the listeners do? Well I'm going to check that out because uh, that's the Peter Drury and Craig Burley call of Manchester City QPR which we have not gotten in this country before uh, and as a big Craig Burley fan I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You should enjoy your football. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.